brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's up, guys? It has been a while, but welcome to the Weightlifting Scoop. Tonight, we're going to be talking with the founders of OlyFanatics.com. It is a statistics website that has the potential to transform weightlifting just like statistics did for baseball. So with that being said, let's welcome Anthony Hernandez and Arthur Joe to the show. All right, welcome to the Weightlifting Scoop, guys. Tonight, we're here with OlyFanatics. It is a new statistics website olyfanatics.com we're going to be talking with anthony hernandez and arthur joe um so we're really excited about that but we haven't had a uh, podcast in a while so uh we'll go around a little bit before walt's internet goes out and uh, see how he's doing first what's going on walt everything trav uh just uh excited getting ready for uh, a very busy end to the year that we have planned out uh had a little ink therapy yesterday this way uh i got that done before uh so it can heal before I start hitting the road with everything and uh, excited to uh, congratulate Mr. Coggins himself as our new grassroots director on the board of directors. Congratulations, big Andy. Yeah. So we are in the presence of royalty. So we'll pass it over to Andy to see how he's doing. What's up, buddy? You guys are killing me, man. Uh, I'm good. Um, definitely excited to get a chance to serve the community at large and uh, you know, make a change in weightlifting a little bit bigger than my state. Um, yeah. So excited about it. If anybody has any issues that I can potentially help with, feel free to uh, give me a call and we'll chat about it. Yes. He, he has been uh, asked and summoned to save the world 10 times today already. So, um, but no, in all seriousness, I think you'll really enjoy the position. I'm happy for you. I think you're, you're a great fit and it, it showed by the, the vote itself. Um but yeah, we've had a lot of exciting things going on, but uh, we have these these guests here. So, um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk other things, but um, let's go ahead and get to Anthony and Arthur a bit. Um, Anthony, how's it going, buddy? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, slammed with work and then obviously this project as well as the rest of my life. But uh, I'm pretty good right now, actually. Yeah, so I've known you for quite a while. Um, you you actually lifted as a lifter for Dom Akali, right? Yeah, I um, I lifted earlier uh, before Dom Akali, but I, I started with Team Florida uh, in the mid '90s uh, with John Harrison and Bill McDaniel's, and then I went up to Savannah and I lifted with uh, Don McCauley, uh, and to be fair, Michael Cohen, uh, but mostly Don McCauley. Um, we stayed long lasting friends um until he passed away so but yeah that's uh i lifted for uh a don uh he was my coach 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, I had met you several years ago and, and, uh, you know, we, uh, knew each other for a while. So, uh, Arthur, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Balancing a few things myself. I'm currently getting my MBA at UCLA Anderson and, uh, working part-time at a, a technology accelerator lab was lifting myself, um, up until around the pandemic, the last meet that I competed in was AO series one. And it was kind of funny. It was right before the pandemic hit or actually while it was hitting. So I was driving up to Columbus and kind of checking the case count simultaneously as I was driving, just to see if the meet would be shut down. Luckily it wasn't, but yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a very bizarre time. I think uh, maybe all of us were there. Um, Oh, Walt and Andy, were you guys at that meet? Uh, I was definitely there. Uh, it was really cool to see all the athletes come out and make a crowd for us since they couldn't let spectators in. I know. Yeah, kind of like, so, like a really quiet meet. Yeah, it was like the good old days, you know, before four way oh. was, was popular. <laughs> it was actually a pretty, actually a pretty fun meet. But, uh, you know, Anthony and Arthur, you guys, uh, you know, you started OnlyFanatics.com had a soft launch so far you're kind of getting it getting it out there but uh you know statistics has really changed a lot of different sports and i think it has the potential to change weightlifting and you guys have uh the the base you know down with with a really nice competition database of uh national and international competitions um but uh yeah i, I would love to hear the background of you know what you guys do and how you got the the idea started and where where the idea is kind of sitting right now? Yeah, so I think I'll take over. Uh, I guess the genesis of Oli Fanatics. Um, I, I grew up a diehard baseball fan. Um, I have been, will always be. Baseball's not dying. Um, I grew up on baseball. Went to a lot of baseball uh, games throughout my life, and you know, just having baseball cards as a kid, you flip them on your back on the backside and you just have stats of the baseball players. And as I got older, you know, stats collection for baseball became a lot more intense, um, started out with retro sheets and then eventually morphed into what became known as baseballreference.com, which is actually the guys who run that are, are literally not too far up the road. Um, got into sabermetrics baseball, which is sort of an, an advanced statistical way of looking at baseball player positions, war wins after replacement. And to me, baseball stats and baseball go hand in hand with each other. I think that the stats really allow you to not only give you information about the baseball player, but sort of be able to tell the story of the baseball player. We just see the stats go up. We see them go down. We've seen how collecting baseball stats allow us to see different periods of baseball, different ways that the game is being played. And I'll allude to that later in the weightlifting stats. But to me, I wanted to take that base, that passion, that knowledge for baseball stats and put it into my love for weightlifting I'm, I'm a shameless fan of, of the sport of weightlifting now that i'm not a lifter anymore i just like watching it i'm a legit fan and i wanted to be able to take that knowledge from baseball you know stats and apply it to the sport of olympic weightlifting and i think the the goal there was was several fold first 
to have a historical record of weightlifting meets. Not all of them, but at least enough that we can get an accurate um, description of the sport at the national level and higher. And I think that that was very important because it seems to me that right now a lot of weightlifting records are decentralized. You have to go to this website to get this one, this website to get that one. Uh, some of them aren't even on websites. They only exist in PDF files. And the list goes on and on. So it's very decentralized to try and put together a particular weightlifter's career going back, you know, very far, let alone trying to reconstruct a person that lifted in the late 50s through the early 70s. It's almost impossible. We can do that now. So the idea, you know, first was to focus on being able to tell the story of a weightlifter through their data. And so that was a that was the major driving emphasis of Foley Fanatics. And then to go a step beyond that and say, okay. What are the stats we should be generating that can help tell you about this weightlifter? And so that's really was, was the major genesis of, of Oli Fanatics. And then after that, when Arthur came on, we began looking at the possibility of doing things. And Arthur can get into specifics like regression analysis and deeper statistical methods to really sort of measure, you know, an element of who's really great outside of just accolades, but who's, how can we compare lifters? Um, how can we determine success? Who's going to be successful in these sort of things, similar to, to the baseball stats that are used in sabermetrics. So long story short, that's, that's really the genesis of the idea and how it started. Yeah. Thanks for that. It makes a lot of sense. And it's so interesting, you know, when you see a whole competition history and, and you're able to compare like different lifters and different eras and, uh, you know, I think there's so much more that you guys will eventually build on and we're just getting started. But even at this point, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. So I encourage people to, to check that out. Now let's kick it over to Arthur and get his perspective on, um, you know, maybe his background with statistics and, and kind of what types of different analysis, um, you guys are working on. Sure thing, Travis. So as Anthony mentioned in the beginning, we, I met Anthony at an economic consulting firm based in D.C., and a lot of what we were doing was quantitative and statistical analysis. Um, it wasn't related to the sport of Olympic weightlifting, but I think a lot of principles that we learned at that company can be applicable. Ultimately, we feel that for Olympic weightlifting, an athlete should be defined by more than just their makes and misses. Obviously, if you look at a scoreboard to a tournament, I mean, what are, what's the information you see? It's really their attempts, their makes, their misses, their total, and that's pretty much it. We think there's, as Anthony alluded to, especially in baseball and also I think in tennis, there's a lot deeper of a analysis we can do on what makes an athlete an athlete. To give an example, opening a conversation on what defines an athlete as being clutch or non-clutch, certainly in other sports, that's a pretty clear definition. In basketball, it's usually how many buzzer beaters you make or miss. In tennis, it's often, you know, how many break points do you save on your serve? Opening a conversation in that way, I think, could be very beneficial for the weightlifting community. And the way we plan to do that is that if you currently go on our website, this is olifanatics.com, we published a series of articles. They're all pretty quick reads. I'd say probably three to five minutes of reading and, and length. And it answers these, ty these types of questions. Just to give another example, one of our flagship articles discusses the ratio of the snatch to the clean and jerk, which may seem like a mundane type of topic, but 
it's kind of been like water cooler talk in our opinion in the past. You know, people talk about it, but to actually calculate the ratio of a snatch, the clean and jerk across all the athletes that we have in our database essentially gives you a benchmark. Like, is this athlete more of a snatch specialist? Are they more balanced between the two lifts? Um, and we're the, the purpose of these articles is to, to tease out these types of questions. Yeah. And there's so many different things that people take for granted. And I think, you know, in conversations with Anthony in the past, that's what he said is like, you know, there's these things that we take at a surface level because they've been passed down from generation to generation of weightlifting coaches. And it was like sort of studied under the Soviet system, like, Hey, you should snatch approximately 80% of your clean and jerk, but there's never been a massive amount of data uh, they like what you guys have where you've actually been able to prove out, okay, well, this is actually somewhat true. Um, so, you know, basically what are some of the main findings that you guys have looked at that you were surprised, um, you know, maybe some of the old folklore wasn't true or, or maybe you've confirmed some of those things. You want to take this one Anthony, or you want me to take it? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give one at least. And then, and then Arthur can step into another one. One of the biggest ones that was actually surprising and, and is that it's long been held that lighter weight lifters are just more technical and less strength. So, for example, if that's true, we might expect lighter strength weightlifters to snatch a higher ratio of their clean and jerk. And long story short, we would expect them to have a higher ratio of their of their snatch to clean and jerk. And the opposite is actually true. Heavier lifters actually lift a higher percentage of their snatch relative to their clean and jerk. I don't think that's anything anyone suspected. And for a long time, people have been suspecting the complete opposite. Um, I'll let Arthur step in, but the same is actually true when it comes to gender differences in weightlifting as well. Um, yeah, there's the, just this. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Anthony. No, go ahead, Arthur. One of the topics I wanted to talk about was this article we wrote that's titled, How Does Attempt Selection Affect Make Rate Probability, which you can also just call lifting average. I mean, it's a well-known fact that the heavier you lift, like as a proportion of your PR, your lifting average or make rate probability obviously is going to go down. Everyone knows that. But I don't think we've seen anyone actually quantify the extent to which it's gone down. So we actually have this really nice line graph that we published in the article that shows this precipitous drop in terms of your accuracy in making the lift as you get heavier and heavier to your PR. And essentially what you'll see in that article is that the drop is pretty constant up until about 95 to 96% of your PR. And then it just plummets quite quickly. So the risk of making that jump from say 96 to 98 kilos, if your snatch is 100 kilo PR, is actually quite a big drop in accuracy. So these types of, I mean, the way I would summarize it, Travis, is that a lot of what people have been assuming in the past might be correct and might be incorrect for the times that it's actually correct. We're able to put some numbers to add some additional color on that type of accuracy. Yeah. I think one thing that anecdotally I've seen is when people hit their uh, PR snatch um, or PR clean and jerk, they actually have uh, typically like a really light opener. So one thing that would be interesting to find is if that is actually true or 
if it's just something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for. So I see those instances, you know, it's like, you don't see a white car until you buy a white car and then everybody's got one. Right. So you, you can kind of have this confirmation bias in your mind when you, when you see something happening, but the data doesn't lie. So when you look at an extremely large amount of records, then you can prove something or disprove something. So, you know, I'd, I'd really, I think it'd be neat if you were looking at, uh, and there, there's probably a million ideas that the listeners will have out there, Andy and Walt. Um, but I was just thinking of this one, you know, it'd be cool to see the competition where the lifter made their best snatch. What was their opening, uh, percentage of their, their maximum. And then, um, what, uh, and then from there you could say, well, what happened when they opened higher, you know, did they actually only make two lifts and then make a different weight or what, what does that look like? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's certainly something we can do. And that, that's a great idea. Uh, Anthony can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're currently compiling data across 33,000 lifters over 300 tournaments since 1928. So with a sample size that big, you can definitely get that type of continuity in the data. Yeah, yeah we can. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Travis. Go ahead. Yeah, we definitely can. And we've built an assortment of uh, what we call descriptive statistics. These are mostly kind of like ratio statistics, similar to, you know, batting average, the number of hits at the number of at-bats, modulo, some other things. So we're able to, to calculate a lot of the, the things that you're interested in, because, for example, we can calculate an, an opening attempt percentage. Uh, we can ta- calculate, you know, the lifter's best opening attempt during a given, a given year first attempt percentage, second attempt percentage, third attempt percentage. And we can break those percentages, not just down between the snatch and clean and jerk combined, but during the, by the individual components, for example, the first snatch, the second snatch, the third snatch, what is the probability that you're actually going to make those attempts? Uh, So we actually have that calculated for every lifter uh, that's in the database going all the way back to 1928. So we're pretty stoked about that. Can you guys, uh, when, when going through the statistics, is it uh, is there going to be differences between? Uh, can you search for statistics within local, national, and then international meets, or is it all going to be grouped together? So, so that's a big question. I'll, I'll go ahead and take this. Currently, the database does not have local meets. Uh, there is a lot of local data. Um, we have a process of extracting information from PDF files. Um, we could talk about our, our technology stack if you want, but we can rip information out of a PDF file, upload it into the database directly. Uh, but it is a process because there are instances where that doesn't go smoothly. And so some manual manipulation is involved. And to try and have local meet data would just be absolutely overwhelming because there's a local meet. I mean, just number one and foremost, we if we collected if we collected local data, the database would become increasingly US biased because ideally with the exception of maybe Australia and Canada, it's actually hard to get local weightlifting data that's not a national tournament from another country. I mean, unless you know how to, I I can't think of a way to get local data from, you know, North Korea or, you know, China or or Iran. It's just really difficult. So we would have a database that would become increasingly US biased. 
And it's also too much data to try and manage because we would be cleaning data and uploading data practically every weekend, maybe even more, just to keep the database updated. We took a big decision where we decided to only look at national meets and hire from the most major nations that compete in the sport worldwide, plus all the major IWF tournaments. So from the youth worlds and up, and we felt that that's enough data to give an accurate description of a sport and an accurate description of everyone that competes at that level and higher. So, yeah, I think that that's really cool. I just was like, there's certain statistics that I would find interesting to compare, even from national, international, such as, you know, percentage of, uh, what is your chance to make a lift after going up after a miss? So say somebody misses their second attempt and then they go up another kilo or two, you know, is, is there a differentiator between that, between yeah. the national level and the international level? And is it uh, statistically significant or insignificant and just see some statistics like that, compare that um, across the board would be kind of um, interesting just to see what the differences are on the national yeah, that, and international that is- level. I'll let Arthur step in. That's an important stat. We collect a stat called pressure lifts, PLs, and it actually measures when a lifter, how many times a lifter makes an attempt after previously missing an attempt. Arthur? Yeah, in fact, we have like a half-baked article that's in the backlog right now that we plan to flesh out in the coming months, which we'll, we'll release when it's ready. I will say that even though we don't collect information on local meets, what we do collect is information on whether you're competing in senior youth or junior so if you have someone that has you know an illustrious 20 25 year career and they started i mean cj cummings would be a great example you can actually see his progress over those three age divisions yeah that that makes sense so so one of the things like when you guys are you you guys have articles on the website with a golden ratio is that just snatch clean jerk ratio is that what you got? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with that term actually, but uh, yeah. W- one thing that, that I find interesting is that, um, you know, uh, golden ratio increases with age um, and, and the golden ratio is kind of higher at the heaviest weight division. So we already talked about the one, but I would like to visit it for just a second. So uh, say, you know, Anthony, you were a 56 kilogram lifter back in the day, right? So yes, uh, definitely now, not now. <laughs> 56 is a small small person so not many people make that but um in, anyways i guess uh you know when you look at actual amount of kilos versus percentage um do you, can you dig in a little bit and and talk about like what those percentages are for the lightest divisions and and then kind of like where it levels off well that's definitely for arthur I hate to put him on the spot. <laughs> Arthur. You make sure I understand your question, Travis. You, you just want to compare the like actual percentage of values for the lighter divisions versus the heavier ones. Yeah. If, if you if you have that information handy, I know you might have to look it up or something, but um, you know, say you have like a lighter guy, like a 55, 56 kilogram lifter versus like a 96, you know, conventional wisdom, like you guys said, you would sort of expect like um a lighter lifter to you snatch a, a decent percentage of their clean and jerk um, in comparison to a to a 96, but you guys said that, that that's actually not true. So I was curious if you had like specific numbers for that. 
Yeah, we do. So it's described a little bit more in the article, but if you take the lightest weight division for either female or male, typically that ratio of snatch to clean and jerk, which we're calling the golden ratio, is around 79 to maybe getting close to 80% versus if you take the heaviest, you know, the super weights for the male and, and female genders, it's going to be about one percentage point higher. So maybe like 80.5, 80.7%, which you would think is not, you know, a huge difference, right? But because we're dealing with such a large sample of data, if you run a statistical test to see if that's a statistically significant difference, it is actually. And um, we're kind of a big fan of putting visuals on our website so that the articles are not so dry. You can even see that in our article when we have two histograms comparing that ratio distribution between the lightest and the heaviest weight class. Yeah, and then, and then kind of the next thing. So um, when you go uh, to the next article where it says that the golden ratio increases with age, sort of makes sense. You become more technically proficient as you do the sport longer. Um, yeah. But also, you know, in powerlifting, um, typically it's like, you know, you can get stronger for longer, um, but... Uh, you know, your speed qualities sort of disappear in weightlifting. So uh, there is sort of like contradictory ideas there. So um, would be interested in, in talking about, um, you know, that age factor as well. Yes, yeah. yeah, so an article there where we basically plot the ratio of snatch to clean and jerk um, from age 14 to 39. So the way the calculation would work is that for each age, let's just say if you're 20 years old in the data, then we average the average uh, golden ratio for that age group. And basically what you see is this increase in that ratio from age 14 to about 20. So that's, you know, like youth through juniors, just about when you turn into a senior. And then it pretty much plateaus off around that 80 to 80.5% range. Um, we, we calculated all the way until age 39. So then increase you're seeing is a pretty stark result that just happens pretty early in a weightlifter's career. doesn't matter if it's female or male um, and then plateaus off uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. So why do, why do you guys think that is just simply getting more technically proficient and the clean jerk, just favoring, you know, raw strength and just getting after it a little more. We have a regression for that. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, one thing we got to be careful about when we analyze this data is that when you start to look into causality, it's a little bit harder for the data to show you why certain things are happening. I mean, anecdotally, Anthony and I think that it's, it's exactly what you said in the beginning, Travis, which is, you know, the snatch is a more technical movement that is probably harder to master than the clean and jerk. Um, and because of that, it might take the average lifter a little bit longer to get their true numbers for the snatch reflected you know that doesn't really happen when they're 14 or 15 it you know happens probably when they're a little bit older that's our hypothesis well that makes sense so where do you guys kind of see this going in the future do you have any particular like ratio statistics stuff that that's not quite there that they are in the works yeah i'm, I'm happy to chime in and then i can turn it over to you anthony so yeah. The way the website stands right now is that it's very article heavy. This database that we've been talking about through this podcast is actually work in progress. It's not currently uploaded to the website. We plan to upload it to the website within the next few months. And the way you can think of it is that it will have search functionality. So if you want to type in Travis Cooper, 
you want to type in Maddie Rogers, it's basically going to give a list of detailed results for that specific athlete, as well as all of that athlete's competitors for a particular tournament. And this database is going to be dynamic. So throughout the lifespan of Oli Fanatics, we're going to keep updating and growing that database as new national and international tournaments um, occur. And then this, so articles is number one, the database number two in a few months. And then the third idea that we're exploring is potentially adding some type of media content to the website. Um, so things like photos and videos of athletes competing in, in these types of meets. Though if I have to say, you know, what is the bread and butter of our website, it's definitely going to be this database. Anything to add? Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we definitely have some other stats uh, that we're working on coming down the pipeline. We have a statistic that's analogous to war for baseball, so wins after replacement. Um, jokingly, we're calling it PAR, uh, placement after replacement. If we were to go back and look at a person that, say, for example, finished fifth at the U.S. National Championships in a particular place. We'd like to be able to go back in time in that same weight division um, across that same place and, and uniformly select somebody previously in, in years back and ask yourself, are you above that total or actually you, you below it or at it? And in particular, if we were to randomly select somebody from the past and, and plug them into, into your place, are you going to be better or worse off than they are? Are you above replacement or are you actually below it? Uh, that's a phenomenal stat uh, that could actually allow us to compare weightlifters that have similar accolades, the same number of world championships, Olympic appearances. Um, we were actually able to compare them. Uh, it becomes very nifty when you compare lifters that have very similar Statistics and very similar careers, Mike Jocks, Brian Jacobs, Henry Brower, for example, who are practically twins in the sport of lifting. It allows us to get into subtleties and sort of determine who is better all around and so forth. So that's one statistic that we're, we're definitely working on. Um, not easy. Um, and then as Arthur indicated, uh, the breadth of the database is pretty substantial. We have most world championships, full results, not just the best snatch and the best clean and jerk, but all the lifts going back to the late 60s. Um, we have every U.S. national tournament going back, I want to say to 72 uh, so far, all lifts, not just the best and the worst, but but literally every, all, all attempts. Um, and I think we have for 71 and 70, we still have the military press. Because if you look up Fred Lowe, it has all of his military press attempts um, in his data set. Ditto Philip Grapaldi and all those guys. We we literally have all their data uh, from the military press era. And so that's good. On the international database side, uh, we have most, we have every world championships going back deep into the 80s, late 70s. We have every junior world championships that's been held. Uh, every youth world championships, those are much more recent youth Olympic games. Those are recent tournaments. Our Australian data set goes back into the 90s. Ditto Canada. Um, our Great British data set goes back into the 90s. Um, and we have data sets for Spain, Italy, and France that go back to the early 2000s. That's pretty deep. Even our Japanese weightlifting data set and our Korean sets go back into the 90s. Um, so that wasn't, you know, that's pretty nice to have that data. So there, even, you know, even though there's some U.S. bias, there's still a lot of data from 
uh, international data uh, data sets as well. Um, and then we have national championships for Russia going back to the Soviet Union. So that's before the fall. Our, I have a question going back to some of the press um, information. Do you think that you'll be adding stuff, anything else in earlier in the pre when they went before they took the press out? Um, Cause I would love to be able to show like my coach when he pressed and stuff like that. Uh, some of his stats out there, he'd probably enjoy seeing that, but also um, like Phil Grapaldi and all them are some of my favorites. Cause they were like, you know, back in the day when they were way more muscular because they did a lot more press. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. So like being able to go back and educate lifters on stuff like that is really cool. Yeah, we can go we can go much further back than that. I mean, we have like you know, it's not in the database. We have to it has to be managed differently. But uh, even before there was a barbell movement and there was an element of a two handed snatch and a one handed clean and jerk and those type of things with the dumbbell, uh, we have all that data inside the database uh, between 1928 and 1904 um, as well. So, but yeah, definitely have some. We have a good chunk of military press data. It's pretty cool. It would be it would be really interesting because you know the major rule changes like in '64 when you weren't allowed to brush your body and then you were um, to yeah. see you know and then between '64 and '72 when they eliminated the press sort of like what the evolution and the numbers and the and the statistics of the snatch and clean and jerk were like okay you eliminate you know anecdotally we always talk about oh this was a huge rule change technique evolved and it allowed you to brush your body and so you could lift so much more weight and like we know that's true but to see like how fast the world records went up and and what you know difference it actually made and then between 64 and 72 you'll have this consistent um view of that and then when the press is removed like how did removing the press uh increase the snatch and clean and jerk would be so interesting to see between the eight years after that so yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff that can be done with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And and we can definitely look into that from a statistical standpoint. I think that's really important. One yeah. thing for sure I will say, especially with the U.S. data set, is that you can actually see, especially among those individuals that were attempting to make international teams, how USA weightlifting team select, selection policy actual governance affected the actual attempts that were being taken by elite U.S. weightlifters. And that's really phenomenal. And I'm curious if, if, if somehow, some way we can sort of find that in other countries as well. But, but for sure, you can see it in the U.S. data set, uh, especially, I don't know if Travis, if you remember the era of the super squad and the regular squad. Uh, that, that was a little before my time, but I'm familiar with the idea. <laughs> yeah maging myself but yeah you can definitely see how that particular era of lifting drastically changed the the evolution of american records and the evolution of american totals among elite lifters and now that you have all the data set we can look at everyone that was really trying to make those teams during that super squad regular squad era and you can just see there's there's typically a lot more misses there's a lot more past attempts there's a lower average because it was extremely difficult to make a team. That was an era where, you know, the U S would only send like, well, you know, if you didn't have like a certain percentage of the best total in the world, you couldn't make a team. It wasn't worth sending 10, no matter what. So you can imagine it was just, you know, really the performances take a drastic turn uh, compared to other periods of time. 
Yeah, and it, it's tough because when you look at results, it doesn't tell the whole story. There are so many situations where, you know, I, I can remember, I mean, there's been meets for myself as well, but I can remember like uh, Meredith Allwine going against like Maddie Rogers trying to make a team and really having to open very, very heavy a little bit outside of herself. And it's almost like a little dangerous sometimes, but, you know, you have to do that to to make the team, right? And, and uh, yeah. you know, in a normal situation, she'd have a very high make percentage. But when you add in those those types of meets and those high pressure situations, um, you know, you're going to go two for six or you're going to bomb out sometimes like it's just going to happen because you you sort of like for better or worse, feel like you have to go for it. And that's why I think like having statistics to, to back up like, OK, most people when they hit their PR, they actually open at X percentage like they're not opening at their maximum. You know what I mean? Or yeah. Uh, I think it would just help coaches to be able to, to instead of just anecdotally coming up with these ideas or, you know, uh, opening too heavy, it's like, okay, we need to go in with this strategy and, uh, and go from there. Um, and there's so much data. I mean, you guys are going to be working on this for forever. Yeah. There's a million this, directions you can go. <laughs> this conversation, I was actually speaking to a, an, a, an old lifting uh, he was from LSUS and we were actually talking in and, and I told him, you know, since we have first attempt percentages, we can calculate odds. So we can calculate the odds that a particular lifter is going to make their first attempt. And I said, that's a really valuable stat for a coach because right now we just sort of make assumptions about first attempts. Well, if her best snatch is a hundred and she's opening at 87, she's probably going to make it. But probably going to make it isn't really working for me. For me as a coach, I want to know the odds that she's going to make it, no matter what the late lift that's being lifted. And we can do that now, which is something we couldn't do before. We can actually say, okay, she's opening up at that particular weight. This is the odds that she's going to be able to make it. And I think for a coach, that's pretty valuable to have that sort of in-game tournament statistic. For this sport i think is a big deal yeah it, it would change the game and i mean you could create so much automation around counting if if that data was like publicly available in an api or something and i had talked with you about this before but if if this data was somehow available uh, on an api where people could build on top of that database and and, and you, you're charging them a service fee to create like something beyond the data uh, like one of the things that I've always wanted to do is create a scoring system that would essentially count for coaches. And it would be so accurate because, you know, if the, if the lifter was in the database, it would be like, this person makes their first attempt 85% of the time. And so the count isn't necessarily one, it's like one divided by 0.85 or something like that. Right. So, so it's actually like, I don't know, one, 1 1.2 attempts or whatever. Um, I, I just made up, I get it, but, um, so we, we sort of, as coaches, assume people are going to make their openers and count it as one attempt on the board um, most of the time, unless we just have insider information. And then if the person wasn't in the database, you could use like the all-time averages and be like, you know, just have this generic percentage make rate. Um, but that's just one idea. I mean, then you could truly create almost an exact count minus jury stops, which you, you can't control. But Yeah, we can't control that. Although we, we, we have jury data since 2017 for U.S. national tournaments. Yeah. That, so we know, 
we know we know who's given more reds and who's given more whites. Yeah, and and there was so uh, well, I'm just talking about tech stops and stuff like that. There there was uh, something that was so interesting um, that happened. It was in uh, Jesse Stimo's session in the eighty was it eighty ones or eighty sevens, I think eighty sevens. Walt's signaling me over there. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was like a 20 minute tech stop because someone had like a really crazy miss and, um, you know, yeah, you can't control that. Right. She dropped the bar on her leg. I know. Oh, yeah, it was, wow. It was pretty intense. Um, uh, freak accident, you know, occasionally something really crazy happens away weightlifting. It is one of the safest sports, but when something bad does happen, it's a lot of weight crashing down on you. So it's, it certainly has a potential, even though it's very rare, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think other aspects of the database beyond the stats, um, a little off tangent here is that it allows us to go back in the past and look at lifters that we have forgotten about. Um, cause I think that oftentimes we're quick to believe, you know, this person was the first to do something, or this person, uh, maybe we have forgotten that it had, you know, particular achievement had been done prior in the past, or we have completely forgotten about somebody from a long time ago because they've simply left the sport. Chances are their coaches have left the sport or they're no longer with us and this kind of things. So that's a nice feature of the database uh, to have. It's really interesting because for male lifters, I don't know if you remember him, Kurt White. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's popping up all over the place for top stats. I mean, easily. Uh, just an absolute beast, I guess, especially in the clean and jerk. Um, Michael Martin just shows up everywhere, um, unsurprisingly. Um, and then on the women's side, I don't, way before your time, Leah Rittmister. Mm-hmm. She's all over the place in the data sets. So I think it's really interesting that that's another component of the sport as well, of the database as well, as it allows you to put yourself in reference to time and so forth. Yeah. Weightlifting is such an underground sport. And, and so, um, yeah, there's so many names and so many amazing lifters like Kurt White's a great example. Someone starts weightlifting today. They probably will, will not hear his name. Right. But, um, just an amazing lifter, that you hear about from a lot of the old school coaches. And then if you're looking at a database like this, his name's going to pop up a lot, just validating that, that all those things that the old school coaches are talking about are true. Um, yeah. But yeah, he did, he, he did a double body weight clean and jerk. I want to say he was like 12 years old. Wow. I know that you had said there was a couple of things that, uh, and, and this just happens because leadership changes, you know, somewhat frequently and by frequently, you know, every eight years or so, um, you know, you get a new board of directors every few years. Um, we're, we're, uh, here with one of the amazing new board of directors and Andy Coggins right here, but, uh, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, like you, you know, Phil was the CEO for like eight years, you know, and that was actually a long time. And then you get a new board of directors. Um, you get coaches that retire athletes that retire and you're right. Yeah. Things get forgotten. So I know that you've seen a few things in the database that surprised you because maybe it was like this is the youngest person to do something or the lightest person to do something. Uh, what are some of those examples? Um, well, for sure, uh, CJ Cummings and Kurt White clean and jerk double body weight at the same age. 
I do not have month a month for when Kurt White was born. So we don't know if actually CJ did it first or whether it was Kurt. It's the same age group from what we now consider to be the youth age division. So it's under 13. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Michael Martin snatching 140 in the 16 to 17 year old age group. So did Ian Wilson. To be fair, Ian Wilson would go on to snatch 144, which is greater than 140. End of story. But in terms of snatching 141st, we don't know who was born where in the what month of the year, but both of them snatched it during the same 16 to 17 year old age group. Obviously, Michael Martin was substantially smaller at 77 kilos than Ian Wilson was at 94. Uh, but they both snatched 140. And like I said, Ian would go on to snatch 144 later on in the year. And so that's obviously greater than 140. But they both snatched 140 at approximately the same time in the 16-year-old age group. So that's that's one example. Uh, I got ping, pinged, DM'd, is that the, is that the word on, on IG? Uh, <laughs> by, a, by a member of, of Team USA, by the way, who wanted to know if anybody at 85 had ever snatched 170. In the U.S. internationally, it's been done plenty of times, uh, too many times to count. Uh, but uh, we have Oscar Chaplin doing 166 kilos, uh, but not 170. Uh, we have three men clean and jerking over 200, 200 or more um, in that weight division. Uh, and that would be, you know, Kurt White, Oscar Chaplin and uh, uh, Kendrick Ferris, who is oh, virtually... Oscar. Yeah, who, well, no, Oscar, Oscar never jerked 200 at 85, at 85. Was it Innocent Up, Up Kong? We do not have Innocent Up Kong as a, I had to be careful with this, as a U.S. citizen jerking 200 oh, okay. at 85. Gotcha, okay. So, um, but we do have uh, Kurt uh, uh, Kendrick um, and, how was it, Kurt Kendrick? Uh, jerking uh, 200 uh, or more at, at 85, which is pretty uh, pretty phenomenal, uh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ken Kendrick, uh, actually, I really like the um, the statistics that you post. I believe it was on a video or something, or, or just maybe it was on Instagram, just a screenshot. But, um, you know, Kendrick was long, like, sort of. Uh, people said he wasn't a good snatcher, but I think he was just, like, fairly conservative in the snatch because you look at his makes – in the snatch, he made like some absurd amount of attempts. It was over over 79%. By the way, Kendrick is a beast and he dominates almost every statistic. He's at the top of like almost everything for male weightlifters. And people kept telling Kendrick he was terrible in the snatch. He was actually awesome in it and was dominating the snatch. But I mean, he made he never missed an attempt. He made over 79% of them. And yet he was consistently being told, well, you're really not that great on it. And it was just it was just absolutely nuts when you look at it retrospectively. And I think that's another thing, too, where we often if you need the stats to actually be able to look at your lifter and, and make decisions. And I was talking about this the other day with a coach down in Florida. And it's, you know, you want to know if your program is effective. You're going to determine that on the platform. That's where it counts. That's where you determine whether your program is effective or not on the platform. And if you have these stats now to measure that, you can measure the effectiveness of your programming. And what's, you know, people, you know, Kendrick is bad programming in the snatch or whatever. Well, no, it wasn't. It was actually really good, whatever he was doing, because he had a really high snatch percentage 
And he was lifting really heavy weights at the same time doing it, which is a dynamic combination. Yeah. And that that's 79% of every attempt. I mean, there's some lifters who have less than a 79% opening attempt to make. Right. So, I mean, that that's like a huge, hugely successful, um, snatch percentage overall. Yeah. You're almost making eight out of every 10 attempts thereabouts, but that that's, you know, at, at very serious weights. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely really cool. I'm, I'm excited for folks out there to get their hands on the, uh, the database when it does come out and, uh, and really like dig in and also, you know, give you guys ideas. You, you guys should have like a little contact us form. That's like, Hey, if you have an idea, that sort of opens up Pandora's box because you guys have a direction and can't, can't do everything. But uh, yeah, no, we actually, uh, and, and, and I was speaking with the, uh, this guy down in, in LSUS who's a really good lifter, but he'll, he'll remain nameless. And we came up with the concept of name that stat. So if you have a really cool stat and we like it, and we want to analyze it and do the number crunching for you. We'll name the stat after you. <laughs> yeah. So we thought about doing that. So it's it's like a possibility. That. Yeah. Yeah. Most most of the ratio stats we think we already have: lifting average, opening percentage. We're also we also collect the number of uh, lifters who've gone six for six, the number of bombs you've ever had in your life, and we we even have it down to granularity. So we can count the number of tournaments you went to where you made, say, for example, your first snatch, your second snatch, but you missed your third. So we can count all those up and determine how many you did. And then how many times did you make your first snatch, missed your second, but you missed your third. So think of all the different combinations, you know, of, you know, making attempts in the snatch, you know, one, zero, one, or one, 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 if you made all three, and then we can determine, well, what percentage of that particular incident is overall your snatches. Um, so I think that's a pretty cool stat as well. And a really quick plug, a lot of what Anthony's talking about, you can actually find in a seven minute YouTube video that we uploaded last month. If you just type in Oli Fanatics database tour, Anthony walks through basically a beta version of the database. Again, it's not officially uploaded on our website for, for public consumption yet but we do have the backend infrastructure where you can see all of these statistics in different tables for particular athletes. So again, that's on YouTube. Just type in Oli Fanatics database tour should be the first hit. I am curious um, who has the most bomb outs ever. Male or female? Both. Among U.S. lifters? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. I feel bad for saying this because I'm afraid to name names. Okay, so <laughs> let me preface it by by giving a little bit of back on why I asked that question. Okay. Um, my coach, um, who is probably in your database somewhere, Ben Green, yeah. uh, yes. or Benjamin Green, um, always talks about how much he bombed. And okay. he says, I probably bombed more than anyone in the country but when I totaled, it was more than anyone in the country. Um, and he, he was pretty good. I know that in his time. Um, so I'm curious, though, who had the most bomb outs? That's why I asked. I don't see a bomb out as a bad thing. I it's see no, going after something you need or whatever, whatever, you know. Some, some very good lifters have historically large numbers of bomb outs. Uh, Craig Scouton, 
is incredibly high in the number of bomb outs he had. He was a very successful lifter. Um, all jokes aside, Derek Johnson um, is a bomb out king um, who bombs out a lot. Derek uh, bombed out far less, though, than Craig Scouten uh, ever had. On the women's side, um, actually, I have the database open in front of me before I quote the number. Um, sorry about this. While you're looking that up, though, with, you know, Derek had a lot of bomb outs, but at the same time, Derek also hit some American records and some great totals. So, like, it's nothing yeah, to so it's nothing to scoff at. Kelly Rexroad, uh, had a, a Williams had a had a lot of a bomb outs. Uh, John John Coffey's lifters in general um, had a lot of bomb outs, as well as um, Team Goff. Um, Steve Goff uh, also had a lot of bomb outs in their lifters. And there's also payoff, too, because they took very risky attempts, right? Uh, Tom Goff is a very successful lifter. That's not even up for conversation. So you sort of see this in the lifting as well. You also see a lot of, you know, we also measure six for six attempts. Uh, Kendrick Ferris has a lot of six for six attempts. Um, Oscar Chaplin, I don't think ever went six for six. Really? Uh, in his life. Yeah. Not in the data set that, that, that we have. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the national and international data set, cause of course, like, you know, yeah, in local stuff and that's, that's different. Right. So yeah. yeah, just to reiterate, we're looking at a, a data set of national and international, uh, results. Yeah. Do we have any statistics on like, I know, for example, like Cheryl Hayworth, a lot of times did not take her final clean and jerk attempt because she had already yes. locked it in. So, uh, yes, so yes, yes. I'm glad you asked this because this goes back in many ways to USA governance during that time period. That was known as the era of the regular squad and super squad. And so what ended up happening is you got paid to do American records, but they would pay you X amount if you did the record at a national meet. And they would pay you a Y amount, which was greater than X, at an international meet. Well, Cheryl Hayworth was dominating the platform at that time period. So she got smart and she started realizing, I just broke the American record on my second attempt. I got paid. I'm going to go do this next record at the international meet and get paid even more. So what you actually see with a lot of women that dominated that time period, Cheryl Hayworth, Kara Heads, um, you to a lesser extent, Dana Carew, you'll see a lot of past attempts. And it's like, I set the record, I got paid. I'm going to go save my next record for an international meet. And you will actually see that in the data set among the men and the women that lifted during that time period. Cheryl Hayworth has an insane number of past attempts, which is like, all right, I'm done. I won. And it's it's really high. Um, statistically, because of the way we measure lifting average, that brings her lifting average down a sum. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think that's that's alluding to what I had mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast, how a policy by USA weightlifting actually affected the play that was on the platform. It actually affected someone like Cheryl Hayworth, who was like, well, I'm going to save this record now for an international meet and get paid there as opposed to doing it on the platform uh, here at the nationals or whatever the meet was here in the U S. Yeah, that makes total sense. And 
internationally too, you know, you see uh, lifters like Lasha and it's long been, or, or, you know, even Rosaza day in the past and they'll break the record by one kilo. And then um, they'll only break it by one kilo, but it's clear they could do more. And it's always like, well, they get paid to break it by one kilo. So they want to leave it for the next one. <laughs> exactly. You get paid. Yeah. So it becomes a yeah. financial decision and not truly like, what is the actual most weight that I can lift? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's optimizing. It's what's the most I can get, you know, what's the most I have to lift to yeah. be able to get the money I want. Yeah. If you were to hit yeah. the, the highest weight that you could hit, you know, particularly the Lasha, you could probably do five or six more kilos in the snatch. Then, um, you know, he, he, he might not have as many world records at the end. <laughs> you get, yeah. get a world record every single time you break it by one kilo at, uh, yeah. At, right. But, but if you, if you have, you know, 30 or 40 world records that you hit across your career. And uh, maybe you could have had 60, but your bank account's fat. And you still got 40, you're doing pretty good. Well, that's yeah. all I mean. by going one kilo, you're, you're, you're going to break more world records because if he went up on, a, on like, you know, five kilos, then he, he would have five less chances to break that record. But um, that's, that's a good point. We should actually look at stats to see how much has changed in the era of the two and a half kilo jump as opposed to the one kilo jump. Is that the weightlifting scoop uh, analysis now? Want to call it that? Yeah, I'm curious now how the sport has changed. There was right back in the day, you used to have to take two and a half kilos in yeah. between your attempts. Wasn't the rule two and a half from your first to second, and then you could take a smaller one and a quarter on your third or no, it was two and a half world. It was two and a half. Yeah, two two and a half was the minimum, and that that changed in like two thousand four after the two thousand four Olympics, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but that that would be really interesting because, like, you know, counting has a historical. When you're a coach at the board, it has a historical reason why we look at five kilo jumps as an assumption for men and three kilo jumps as an assumption for women, sort of. And it's because of the two and a half and the five kilo rule. But you know, maybe we look at statistics and find that you know men are jumping four kilos at certain body weights on average, or, you know, it's probably going to be some weird obscure number like 4.6 or something. But, um, you know, we, we always assume assume that five because of a historical reason, but is it actually still true? Well, is it, is it still, is it as, well, I think that's a very good question, Travis. And I think another question to ask is, is it an optimal decision to make in trying to increase your total? in a competitive tournament yeah yeah um, exactly it, it might it might not you know prove well so yeah so i guess there's that's twofold like are people still utilizing the five kilo jump just because of the historical reason and maybe you you prove that's true but then you look at well statistically they're missing a lot of attempts after a five kilo jump from first to second but a four kilo jump is much more successful um so maybe we could start you know, making some changes, um, to, to the, to the types of jumps that are, are made for a reason. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be oh. really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. have to check that out. Yeah. yeah Andy's got all the good questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so yeah, I think that was, that was really interesting guys. Uh, Walt, you got anything? I saw you were sitting up, so I was gonna gonna make sure you got got on here. Um, I was just gonna make a comment about. Of course, he does. He's the 
new member of the board of directors. That's our grassroots director. Wow, right there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he won the election because inquisitive mind. Well, your, your internet's been solid tonight. And he's been kind to me. Yeah. He's in a good mood. Usually. He hasn't messed with my internet today. Yeah. Now that he's, he's a, he's on the board of directors, he can't do any funny business with the, he internet. knows I voted for him. <laughs> I, I got a local meet i'm going to this weekend and i was fully intending on being a troll um because this guy's just got a history of annoying me but now i can't do that but jacob's going with me so he knows what to do <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh you have any and, tournaments coming up travis uh me I, I actually i made the world championships team in december so that's right eight nine weeks from now so that's really what i'm there you go so it should be fun absolutely Congrats on that! Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so you're 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 moving upwards on the on the all many of the leaderboard stats, uh, tournament appearances, lifts made, lifting yeah. average. <laughs> Tell you what, uh, CJ Cummings has competed so often, like he's like so young and he's like at the top yeah. of that list. So, so it's like, and that's another I could pass that's another else, but him. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably going to do 60 tournaments in his life, uh, which is insane. But, you know, back, you know, back in the day, a long time ago, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to compete at the national level. You had the nationals. If if you were if you were a senior, you had the nationals in the American Open. And think of the people that lifted before the era of the American Open. I mean, we have data sets, you know, Mike Jocks went to one tournament a year because there wasn't an American Open and there wasn't there wasn't let alone three of them uh or any of that stuff so you know, a lot of these younger lifters are lifting in an era where you know you've got three american opens a youth nationals a junior nationals a senior nationals now they're all smashed together into one super meet but then on top of that you've got all these international meets you can make and you look at you know you look at hamp and you look at cj and it's like they did six tournaments in one year it's like mike jocks had to compete six years just to just to come up with that one stat they're doing it in one year so it's sort of like comparing, you know, it's it's sort of like comparing, you know, sort of like Babe Ruth's, you know, hit record to Pete Rose. And Pete Rose plays in an era where there's 160 games and and, and Babe had left, get, you know, less games to, to contend with to get the same amount of hits. Well, he actually had less, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. So it's, you know, it's really amazing how lifters from the past you know, they have very, very low tournament appearances because they never really had that many tournaments to go to. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have something to add on that. Curious that how you do something for your stats. Um, you're talking about having like CJ having a bunch of different more meets to go through and more tournaments mm -hmm. to get into his stats. So say somebody like Hamp lifts uh, in Nationals Week in Vegas and he's uh, in yes. youth, junior U25 and senior, does he get four on your stat on your database or does he get one? So that's a good question. From our perspective, and and what I call this the the smash nationals, because they smash it all together at once, which which logistically, by the way, is a good thing, especially for coaches with super big teams. Um yeah, 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 yeah. I I was I, I yeah, I'm I'll just let me just We'll just leave that there. Um, we we have decided for the mostly for IT purposes, it's it's easier to make treat those as four separate tournaments, Andy, um, than it is to actually just treat it as well. 
just one tournament because then we have to decide, well, which tournament did he actually go to? Whereas, you know, technically speaking, his total was good for the youth, the nationals and the juniors. Therefore we apply it to all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's easy. He definitely, to, it's, he definitely has to pay for all of them. And get <laughs> in all of them. Yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it, but it's also it, easy. It's easy to put data in. It's hard to take data out and then change your mind and want to put it back in again. Trust yeah, me. Yeah. You'd have to have all these flags in the background, but at the same oh time, my God. like he, he, yeah, he didn't do 24 attempts. He did, uh, you know, he did six. So right. it is an interesting, like outlier situation that, that probably should be looked at, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Cause a lot of times it's like the American open uh, uh, back in the day would be like the North. Well, I mean, now, now they call it the North American open too, but we had those in the past where it was an international meet and the American open and you could compete in both. Right. So you may or may not have a data set for both. And it's actually one set of competition list for the lifter. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. One of the things that I would find interesting too is, um, so say for instance, like uh, as a lifter, like how do uh, my stats at the nationals only look compared to my overall stats? You know, like do I make more lifts or less lifts at national championships than my average of all national and international meets? And you know, same thing for like worlds, like being able to like filter out between those levels will be pretty cool um, feature enhancement. That's something we can do. So our plan is at the bottom. Uh, we have different tables. So the way that the structure of the database, you can type in the name of the tournament, practically any tournament you can think of. Um, and it'll show the tournament results. It'll have the list of the, the lifters by weight division. And then you can click on a lifter. And then boom, their lifting their lifter uh, page shows up, and you get all their stats, their bio information as well. And we have a career summary table which breaks breaks everything down at the age level. So that's going to be youth, uh, junior, senior. We've adopted just we've adopted USA weightlifting standards for youth, age, and senior, and we've applied it to the whole planet. That's just the way it is. Um, and we also have some other tables called the standard year over year table where we take all of your stats and we crunch it down to just the year level. So, in, you know, in 2002, what was your best snatch? What was your best clean and jerk? What was your lifting average? How many misses did you make? How many lifts did you make? How many attempts did you pass on? And at the bottom of that, we have a career summary table. And what we can do is we can also break down the career summary table so that it reflects your career at the national level your career at the international level so that we can break down the meets um, and do it that way. Uh, we've, we've contemplated breaking down things at a tournament level, but that can get really thick and hairy. So what we're thinking about instead is just focusing on just, you know, here's your career statistics and sort of like baseballreference.com. Here's your career statistics. Here are your major league baseball career statistics, your triple A statistics, your double A, and then typically college after that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess what I was thinking of is like, you know, the national championships, um, in and, in and of itself, like, uh, you know, maybe someone does really well at, at nationals and does poorly at the American open, or, or at least they yeah. feel that way or vice versa. And to be able to separate those, but I, I totally get like, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in the field as well and understand like what that would entail. And it's, uh, sort of a pain in the butt. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, re thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, Let's uh let's wrap up a little bit. Um, 
So uh, we'll get back to you guys, uh, Anthony and Arthur, about the website and plugs and everything. But I'll get to Walt here for a second. So, uh, Walt, where can people find you on social media and any any last questions or, or thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, the, the site sounds super cool. Uh, a lot of functionality to play around with a lot of other things. Definitely got a better understanding of it. And hopefully, you know, our listeners do as well. So nice job, guys. Definitely sounds very interesting, very exciting to be able to get in there and kind of play around with some statistics. Excited to see how you guys develop it. Uh, but you can find me um, on Facebook and Instagram at uh, Walt Neubauer and on Instagram, uh, Rising Tide WL uh, is the page for the team. Cool. And Andy is away for a second. So we'll go ahead and uh, we'll start with Arthur since uh, he hasn't spoken in a while. So Arthur, where can people find you on social media? Plug the site a little bit and uh, we'll go from there. So we got three plugs here. The first would be the website itself, which is olyfanatics.com. The second would be the YouTube database tour video that we discussed a little bit earlier. You can just type in Oli Fanatics database tour should be the first result. It's just seven minutes It'll be really cool for everyone just to see a lot of what Anthony's described in action on the screen. And then the last plug would be our new Instagram handle, which is OliFanatics, one word. We uh, update that pretty frequently. So if you want a little bit of a flavor of what we're writing about um, without maybe having the time to read all the information on the website, that kind of gives you um, just a 30,000 foot view of what we're doing. Absolutely. Anthony? No, I think uh, I think Arthur covered everything. Cool. Well, uh, Andy, uh, he is back now. So, Andy, where can people find you and any last uh, questions or thoughts? No extra thoughts. Like, I, I appreciate it, guys. Um, I had some good questions tonight, a lot more than last time we talked. So I really enjoyed that. Um, you can find me at coach.andyc on Instagram, also running the All South Barbell Instagram. And I'm now on the board of directors like Walt likes to continue to mention. And so if you have anything that comes up and you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me at Andy at all South barbell.com. And I'd be happy to talk with you if you have anything that you need to talk about. Good stuff. Congratulations again, buddy. Um, we're just giving you a hard time, but we're super pumped for you. Um, so as we we talked with Anthony Hernandez and Arthur Joe about Oli Fanatics. So check out the website. The database should be live here in a couple months. Uh, really exciting. I do think that this has the potential to transform the sport of weightlifting and, you know, coaching education, lifter education, um, you know, as things are continue to be built upon. So, uh, you know, really, really interesting stuff. Um, you can find me at Travis Cooper, 77 KG on Instagram. We're happy to be back on the podcast. So if uh, you have a, coach favorite lifter favorite weightlifting personality referee anybody you would like to see on the podcast let us know we do this for you and uh, we'll do our best just like we got these guys on here we'll try to get them so have a good one and we'll be back soon hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.